This is Up Your RPG, helping you up your role-playing game. Whether you're just starting out with role-playing or looking to make a switch, picking the right tabletop RPG can be daunting. There are hundreds of amazing titles to choose from. What are the most important aspects to consider when selecting your next system? Hey folks, welcome to Up Your RPG. My name's Arthur. As always, I'm here with Emily and Michael, and this week we are joined by Rick. Emily, hey everybody. Emily, the show is all yours. Awesome. So we are eventually going to get to discussing the different aspects of games that you might want to think about if you're trying to choose the best system for you. But to start, I just want to open up the field a little bit and talk about what games exist, not all of them. For those of you who may have only just tried out D&D and haven't experimented in other systems, other styles. And so I just want to pose a question to all of you. Could you think about an RPG that you've played, even if it's just been a one-off at a con, doesn't have to be a long campaign, that for you, you feel is particularly memorable, like it's stuck with you? And... Tell us about that game and why it was memorable. Who wants to start? I can I can jump right in there. Do it. And and that for me is Ten Candles, right? I and was just about to say that. I, I can remember as a group there, right? It has all the aspects of you can you can ramp up the horror if you want, or uh, which really appeals to me. But then as a as a group dynamic, it's uh, fairly GMless, right? No, I guess it has has a bit of a GM component, but super collaborative. So, Michael, just for the sake yeah. of people who don't know this game, could you give maybe a two or three sentence description of how it works? Sure. I know I, it's a little complicated. I'm going to turn but... that over to Rick because I know he's run more of them. So. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I've run this probably three times. It's it's wonderful, particularly if you love narrative based RPGing. Um, and the basic premise is there's you have to do a little prep work. You're not necessarily a GM, but you get a set of candles. Um, and a bunch of dice, and there's, and then you have uh, note cards and a fireproof. If you're going to follow the spirit of the game, uh, do this safely. Uh, you have like a fireproof uh, container, and what you do is you write on these cards um, basic character flaws or or boons, something about you, and then other sort of aspects um, that are sort of defined in terms of questions that you ask this group of. Okay, so your two or three questions, your two or three sentences are up. <laughs> but I was just hoping you could give us a little bit of the idea of the mechanic of the game. I'm okay, sorry. okay. No, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> I, I ramble. No, so the, the basic premise is uh it is a storytelling game that you weave together. Um, and somebody puts forth uh what the big bad is, this unseen foe. So it plays off of the traditional horror trope of this thing that you don't know or don't see. Um, being okay. maybe the scariest thing and you weave this narrative story together awesome. maybe i'm good I'll, I'll go with the succinct version you have a shared dice pool oh i just <laughs> lost everybody <laughs> okay so we, so maybe i won't ask you to describe the games because then we'll be in an hour and 25 minute episode instead of a 25 minute episode but suffice it to say uh 10 candles is very narrative based it's rules light part of your character building comes from other players so it's a little bit randomized you don't get to choose everything that you are and have and do and it's uh and it's horror based 
Does that kind of cover it? When I played it, it was actually set near where I lived. I don't know if that's standard for the game because I've only played once. That was just a fluke. Okay. No, no, you can yeah. set it wherever. Um, yeah, I think we chose that because of the sort of, it was winter. We were in sort of a creepy setting and I think it just like lent to the vibe. And I think you can do that, but you can do it in any time frame or any time setting. Yeah. And yeah. I feel like the, uh, even though I'm the only one of the four of us who has never actually played 10 candles, I feel like uh, all three of you left out one of the key components of the game, which is that in the story, the only thing that has to be consistent is that the world is going to be ending and that none of the characters are going to live. Oh, Thank that's you. Right. Uh, that, yeah. Which really, really changes uh, the vibe of the game. Um, well, that, that everyone knows they're going to die. Frank, I walked out of our game. My character walked out before it was over because it was too <laughs> intense. And there was a lot of infighting, literal, physically, like characters beating up on characters. So I forgot that was how it ended. And and it has a defined time limit. Those are the candles. In fact, okay. we missed the entire name of the game and <laughs> describing this great job. Uh, there are candles okay. that you light at different intervals. And basically when they go out, it changes the setting and tempo of the game. And when the last candle goes out, the game's over. Okay, yeah. so I've learned my lesson. <laughs> this is not how I should have approached this without a warning. But Michael, would you just tell me why it was memorable? Since we now know all about 10 Candles. Sure. It was memorable because we made a great story as a group. We had a lot of fun with it. And uh, the energy was high throughout the entire thing. And um, okay. and the, the the nature of it is it's very collaborative in its storytelling approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I do want to ask this question again, but maybe minus the explaining the game part. You could just... I don't know how to tell you to do that briefly. Compare it to something else, or, or what is a, a RPG that was particularly memorable for you? So I, I I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction, um, and it, the the one that pops into my mind uh, is Tales from the Loop, um, which I have never actually played, but I have set up to run twice. So I've read the whole book twice thinking okay i'm gonna i'm gonna run this in a few weeks it never actually happened either time oh. but the thing that's memorable to me about it and and i think that the fact that i didn't run it is is it gets to the point of this episode um but the thing that i liked about it is that um everyone plays kids and there is no harm that comes to these children uh the vibe the reason that the thing that drew me to it is the artwork style. I just think it's beautiful. Um, and the thing that's unique about it is again, that these kids, you're, so it's sort of like a stand by me type of vibe, you know, kids under threat trying to solve a thing. Um, but the kids can't actually be hurt. They can be under threat. And the player characters have a lot more autonomy in shaping the environment than a lot of other games. So if I'm a player character and I want to do something, I can say, okay, well, there's a rock over there and I'm going to hide behind that. Uh, which I thought was, was really cool in terms of um, that really collaborative narrative. Uh, but that said, one of the reasons that I haven't played it yet is because it... it there was something about it that felt a little complicated to me. I, I didn't quite understand the mechanics enough to feel comfortable starting. So that, I think, leads to one of the things to think about when selecting a game for yourself. 
is what are the aspects that are important to you? Are game mechanics important? Are story, uh, you know, storylines important? Is scene important? Is being able to port to your own story important? For me, the vibe of Tales from the Loop was amazing. Um, but what I understood, and again, this might be me, um, what I understood about the the sort of mechanics of it left me a little confused. So I never actually went with it. Okay. Yeah, and I'm assuming that what I'm going to end up doing throughout this episode is just making a list of all of the different aspects that you might want to think about based on what is or isn't important to you. So I've already written down a bunch. Um, but I am in interest of continuing the conversation so we can possibly think of more things, going to ask Rick the same question that I asked Art and Michael. And we'll then move on from there and get more into specific things that you might like or dislike about a game. But what was a game that was particularly memorable for you, Rick? Um, I would say out of out of the difference, I mean, 10 Candles, I'll be honest, was what my answer is going to be. So mm-hmm. uh, if that, that lends any credence for folks looking for games. But other weird, zany things are sort of what I like that, uh, you know, really push the, I don't know, escapism or outside of the, the realm of reality. And um, I would say there's probably two. One is Savage Worlds as a system, I think, really lends to zany um, antics. Uh, there's an explosion dice that you roll that can continue to explode if you roll a six on a d6 it, you just re-roll it and it sort of adds to the score and it sort of amplifies it you can get these sort of uh, you know insane results um from something as simple as you know a slap or or or, or uh, shooting a spitball at somebody's head may make it explode i mean just just sort of the bizarre really lends itself to it and as a system or as a game that i really <clears throat> enjoy there's low life um, and I've played that several times, and it's made by Andy Hopp uh, and his wonderfully twisted mind. And the basic premise is uh, you're in a world where every doomsday scenario has occurred. Uh, and you are now thousands of years in advance of that. And so you play characters like Cream Puffians, where Cream Fillions, rather, which are these now sentient Twinkies that, you know, swing concrete blocks on chains or cockroaches that have become sentient creatures or um various sort of weird zany things these these and it's just it's more like dr zeus meets um i don't know the island of dr Mar- uh, moreau uh, right uh just sort of like these it's just, it's just wacky and it can lend to horror or comedy and a wonderful mix of both and um i've had some big laughs with those games so for that game it was memorable for you most strongly because of the setting and the characters just the, the setting, world that he right. created the world he created you just you don't have to take anything serious um and you can do things in just this wonderfully goofy way um and i think I, that that's really appealing if you just want to have fun uh without really any heavy stakes huh. yeah that's and so in this case Rick's it's not whole... sorry go ahead you can make <laughs> i was just thinking that's rick's whole list right not take it seriously <laughs> basically i was just going to say uh so in the case of low life it's not that it's a rules light game specifically not necessarily well i mean it's not rules heavy but it's not like it's you can do anything because there are no rules it's right because the setting and the the setting the stories are so weird right i mean the rule set is based on savage worlds which much like say uh 
called Cthulhu, right? It's a D100 system, or it's it's a there's D20 systems like D and D, which we can certainly talk about some of these nuances. But it's a D6 system, and uh, so the basic dice is a D6, and you roll something else with it depending on your stats. Um, and that extra little bonus D6 is how you can end up having these sort of quote unquote explosions where you can end up, you know, you have to get above a 12. And if that D6 hits a six several times in a row and you're now at like a 24, um, you so pass your, your meted or goal that, that you can have these sort of wonderfully bizarre, you know, uh, events. And when you apply that sort of dynamic in a setting like low life, and there's a variety, every setting you could think of. Um, if you want to play Buffy the Sl uh, Vampire Slayer equivalent, there's East Texas University is another sort of setting for um, Savage World. So there's all these settings that use the same rule set, and Low Life is one of those settings. And um, it just really lends to the to the wacky and bizarre. Okay. Thank you. That's cool. I should have to, I should figure out when I can play Savage World someday. I never have. I want to read to you everything that I've written down so far, and then maybe as a group we can start to parse it out into bigger categories. And then ideally we would be able to give listeners a workable list of things to think about when they're going out and looking for a game. So just based on the things that you've been saying, I wrote down artwork, um, unique setting or play dynamic, uh, characters being lumped in with that, whether it's combat heavy or light, whether characters die or not within the combat, whether you can be harmed, whether you can go to sleep and wake up healed the next morning, whether the game is rules heavy versus very free and flexible, which would also relate to it being usually more narrative based and um, horror, fantasy, happy, go lucky, uh, candy shop. I think I played a game in a candy shop once. Um, that's what I have so far. So let's organize the things that a person might want to look for and consider if they're choosing a new game. Michael. Yeah. I Well, one thing I'd like to throw out there is I think the probably the stereotype for RPGs is that they have to be these long ongoing things that take months or years to complete. And like Right. Link, I, mm -hmm. I think the first thing I'd like to put out there is there's a lot of these that don't require a lot of expense and you can dip your toe in and see if it fits well for you. And not to kind of like beat the dead horse here, but like Tin Candles is one of those. It's a pretty short book. You do it in an evening and you figure out if you like that, if your group gels around that, if they have fun with that. Um, in my mind, a lot of RPG groups usually don't come from like five or six people coming together and being like, we want to play RPGs. Who's going to GM, right? It's usually somebody who says, I think I want to run this. Do you, you and you want to join me and then ask your friends? And so usually coming from this, like this one individual standpoint, um, if you're thinking about it, like find something that looks like fun for you to run. And it doesn't have to be like, $400 in books and the next year of your life. It could be next Friday for three hours. Um, so I, I would put length as, as one of those things that I don't think often gets thrown out there right at the beginning is it doesn't have to be long. Yeah, that's a really important point. I mean, that might be something that puts people off in general of RPGing or of certain game systems, but in most systems there are, is it fair to say there are shorter modules? There are 
I mean, in just about anything you might want to play. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. But, but, but I think some of them take less books to read to run that one three hour module. Right. Um, so length, but also prep time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that then right segues to rules, light versus rules, heavy games. Um, and that's something I would, you know, put, you know, uh, higher up on the list in terms of your, how much you want to invest in this, something like Savage Worlds, as I mentioned, pretty rules, light, uh, Dungeon and Dragons is sort of maybe rules medium, then you can get some more complicated uh, tabletop RPG settings um, beyond that. Um, and so that's that's probably one. Um, I wrote down a couple of others. I don't know if I can just, you know, we just throw these out. Just some thoughts. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I would say our narrative versus fighting. So some of the narrative ones, if you look up a lot of the works by uh, Jason Morningstar, he's the one who's done things like, uh, I think, Fiasco is another great sort of narrative based, uh, no GM, you can prep within the same sort of couple hour, maybe prior, if not any prep at all. Um, he's another one. Um, the skeletons I have, um, that's kind of fun where you play group of skeletons. Um, again, low prep, narrative-based sort of things. Another one we didn't talk about to serve for wintry hunger. Um, some wonderful sort of- Did you ever of... get to play that? No, and that's because it's, it's you have to have a very specific number of players. Oh, uh, you okay. have to have four. And unfortunately, uh, I have, I guess, one more friend that I need right now um, <laughs> when it comes to uh, DMing. So if somebody's sick, maybe we'll pay that in a, in a pinch. But uh, like wonderful narrative-based games versus fighting. If you want to do fighting, you know, when I get a, a focus point, um, which is wonderful, then things like I think Dungeon and Dragons or Dungeon Crawl Classics is another sort of spinoff from uh, third edition D&D that's sort of out there. Um, and that's great if you don't want to build a character necessarily. You want to make an organic process. You start mm-hmm. up as level zero characters. And if you want to be a halfling haberdasher, uh, that may be what you end up rolling as a, a little peasant. And then you end up sort of finding your heroism, your your story, your narrative with the group. And that can be a really wonderful organic process if building a character is maybe intimidating your first time. Um, and then there's probably GM or GM less games. A lot of the ones we just mentioned are GM less where you don't have them. Um, if you have somebody who wants to lead, that's a different sort of seat to command. Uh, and that can be fun and exciting, but scary. Um, if you don't want to play a D&D or tabletop RPG because you don't have a DM or you're worried about that, um, certain board games now actually appeal to that, like Gloomhaven. I don't know if any of you guys have played that, but it's structured. It's a board game. It's like a legacy board game, right? Um, but there's a map, you discover things, and the mechanics of the board game are the DM. So you can play this sort of session week by week, just like you would any tabletop RPG. You're battling, you have a character that you know levels up and evolves and grows, but you don't necessarily have to have that sort of... Um, high prep expectation right um so i think there's a lot uh there and the last would be sort of setting um if you want to just like look up fantasy on wikipedia and do you want to be like lovecraftian horror do you want to do high fantasy do you want to do steampunk do you want to do space um starfinder is a great skin on uh pathfinder which is another DD spinoff from 3.5 it's another d20 system where it's centered on an i20 um dice and in that uh, setting you can play fantasy or you can go to starfinder i played in a starfinder campaign where you can be in space and these wonderful alien creatures there's there's like uh, hundreds of varieties there and they all have different boons and benefits and uh, it's a it's a wonderful uh twist on i think um traditional tabletop so so it's it's all out there just sort of what you want to play yeah there are definitely 
more games than you could ever imagine to choose from. So Art, if you wanted to play a game you've never played before and you were just going out and starting from scratch, what would be some of the first things that you would look for? Yeah, so I think one of the one of the other aspects that we haven't talked about yet is um, whether you want to whether you've got a story and you are looking for a mechanic in which to port that story, or whether you want to whether you want the game to supply the setting and the direction, uh, the vibe, the the type of characters. Um, there are a number of tabletop RPGs that even if they do come in a particular setting can easily be ported into your own setting. Uh, so I think that's a, one of the first questions that you might want to think about. Um, you know, if I have a story and I just, I'm looking for a rule set to, to put, to plug my story into, uh, there, are, there are some RPGs that are going to be far easier to do than others. Um, uh, other one, there's a lot of tabletop RPGs that are specific to that thing. That said, the next step is if you don't have your own story, um, what are you excited about? Uh, what what do you think is cool? Uh, like what Rick was saying, pretty much any genre, vibe, setting, time period you can think of, there's probably already either a full tabletop RPG or a module that will fit that. Uh, you know, from <laughs> sentient Twinkies <laughs> to you know traditional. Uh, you know, dwarves and elves and, and orcs and, and everything you can think of in between. If you're into a particular um, book series or TV show, there's a pretty decent chance. If there's a big fan base, there's a pretty decent chance there's, an, there's a tabletop RPG for it. Star oh, Trek. That's a really good point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Star Trek is one. Uh, even it, there's now a, um, a Monty Python tabletop RPG. Um, <laughs> Did not know that. Yeah. Pr pretty much anything you, you can think of can be ported into a game. So, you know, get with a group of players that, that you think you want to play with and find out what turns people on um, and and start looking at those things. Yeah, even that, Rick. I was not thinking that way, but there are games about that too. <laughs> Vampire the Masquerade appeals to a lot of people. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the way I would go about it is, uh, you know, first thinking, am I trying to make my own story? Or what is the thing, what is the universe that I want to play in? Um, and then I would go and ask some of those other questions that we talked about. That's a really good point. I'm writing it down. Excellent. And while I'm writing, Michael, how would you answer that same question if you were going out and just looking for a new system starting from scratch? Uh, I, honestly, I think Art covered that pretty well. Do you mind if I take the question in a slightly different direction? Of course not. W which to me is that um, the biggest the biggest thing that I like to put out there is that all of these rule systems are starting points and some of them are more conducive to certain types of storytelling than others. I think, right? Like the D and D or D 20 system is very conducive to the hero leveling up and gaining power, right? Like where the basic role playing or what Call of Cthulhu is founded on is really conducive to the horror and the loss of sanity. Like those are some of the mechanics built in. But really, like if, uh, if I think about under the library, right, we're doing kind of we, we've all either implicitly or explicitly agreed to some rule shifts, which we don't use or we we work around um, in, in order to kind of keep the game going at the pace that we want it to. And um, to get back to an earlier point that Art raised about reading something that you don't end up playing, I, I've done that 
probably 50 or 60 times, but each time I've taken something from the rule set that I've thought, wow, they do that thing really well. How does that help our storytelling? So in our latest kind of module, when I posited to you as characters, I said, what is, uh, I, I can't even remember exactly how I put it out there, but what's something, a redemption arc? What's the redemption arc mm. of your character? I want every character to need something that will redeem them. And that came out of a totally different system I was reading about. And I was like, I wonder how this affects our character development, our storytelling. And so even if you're not going to use it, I find that there's always benefits or something that they're doing really well in other systems that might help your help how you play your current system. And they're not mutually exclusive. And they're not mutually exclusive. Meaning like meaning. The, the two systems, right? They're not like exclusive of each other. They can support each other. Having knowledge right. of one system can certainly support how you play a different system. And if you're a listener who has listened to any of our other episodes, you know that we as a group tend to prefer freedom both for the GM and for the players. And so from that perspective, adjusting rules to fit the gameplay the, to achieve the gameplay that we want or borrowing ideas from other games that works really well for us it will depend on your group again if you are a person who prefers more rules heavy or structured um it may be more it may feel more safe for you or comfortable to go in with something that lays it out for you and there are plenty of those games out there too just to right. both sides it a little bit. No, that, that that's yep. an excellent point, right? That that structure is important because in, in those games that have a lot of structure, right, that provides the safe space for the group. And mm -hmm. early on like that, and, and depending on the group dynamic, that can be really helpful to say, this is the boundary as defined by the book. Um, and But for some people, it's a great point, Emily. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I'm going to just ask if anyone else has any more aspects of game choice that we've overlooked and otherwise I think I'll I'll wrap us up for today. There is one thing that I just wanted to to bring up um, when you're thinking about committing potentially a significant chunk of your time going forward um, to playing a game you might also want to look into the company that makes the game and the philosophy behind it and think about is that something that I want to support? Yeah. And Rick wants to say something too? Yeah, yeah, just, um, and the other thing I, I would say is you look up your local cons if you're not sure about something. Um, a lot of cons will have one shots, four hours of your time you can go play, or even your local gaming shops. Uh, Pathfinder Society is one if you want to just check that out. You can easily sign up and find games locally uh, and just try a one shot, either at a con, your local gaming shops. A lot of them will have something on the weekends. Uh, very, uh, you know, welcoming, warm folks who just want to share, uh, you know, a system they like or a setting they like. And that might really appeal to you if you want to just sample around. Uh, that's one way to maybe, um, you know, check out different systems without investing a lot. Um, and I think my last piece would be realism in your game. And that's a discussion I have with your group. Uh, do you really want to like uh, keep tabs on how much you're eating three times a day or how much weight you're carrying around? And some people love that. We know people who love that because it adds a weight and structure right to the game and a realism. But not everybody wants to play and worry about your dietary choices. Um, and that's, that's yeah, just so a that preference. Kind of yeah. Relates back to what Michael was saying about yeah. each group adjusting 
some of the you have the freedom to adjust the rules in your game as you want to but knowing that you still want to start with a game that has the possibility to to be what you want it to be and so to wrap up today then i'm not going to go through all of the different aspects that we've talked about because uh, there were many and they won't all relate to every person but i will just say it's a little more difficult if you're a player because you have to find somebody to run whatever it is you want to play opportunity plays a key role and that's why rick your last comment was really great if you're a gm figure out what you want to talk about what kind of story you want to tell and whether you want a system that will guide you more or that will give you more freedom on that note it's going to put a wrap on this week's session of up your rpg thanks for joining us You can always find more information at upyourrpg.com. Hopefully we've contributed to your game. Now go find a table.